as good. Last week, Scott brought us through a passage, finished out Galatians chapter 2. And I just want to remind us of the words at the end of his passage because our passage today flows right out of that. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 3, but they're probably on the same page in your Bible. And the final words that we saw last week, this is the end of the discussion on on righteousness by faith rather than works, is the Apostle Paul writes that if we are saved by works, by what we do, by our behavior, then Christ died for no purpose. And if you just pause, as Scott led us to last week, to pause on those words and think through that, the implications of that are, are crazy. To think that Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died for no purpose. Scott said this, that the Father sent the Son to die for no reason. is an abomination. The idea that we save ourselves through good works. That we could save ourselves through following of the law of God is ridiculous. And so our passage today picks up out of this, out of that statement. And you're going to see Paul's, uh, he's he's incredulous about this. And we're going to see that tone flowing into chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to be in Galatians chapter 3. Also as a note, if you don't have a Bible and there's one in your pew in front of you, we'd love for you to take this home. It's yours to keep. This week, I gave a Bible, just one of these, to somebody who came to Bible study, and he said, every church I've ever been to before made me pay for it. And I'm like, no, man, you get this for free. (laughs) We want to give you the word, and if that's you, please, please receive that. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is where we'll be. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Church, the Galatian Christians, some of them have been deceived. They have been led astray. And what I want us to know is that that we should, like them, not be deceived. You and I should pay attention to know that the temptation to be deceived is always there. The temptation that they faced is one that we still face today. And that is to become, and I'm going to talk more about this, to become checks, checkbox Christians. To think that as we do the Christian life, what we can do is check Things off. Oh, I came to church on Sunday. Oh, I read my Bible today. Oh, I spent some time praying. Oh, I told my neighbor about Jesus. Oh, I did this. 
checkbox Christians, a checks box, a checkbox faith, not checks, checks mix, like, I'm going to tongue tie myself on that one today, apparently. See, they had been tempted to, some of them had outright gone into it, this idea that if, that if they could just do the things required, they would be fine. Now, the temptation of that comes because it's easy. It's easy to check boxes. It's easy to get done with the day and say, I did all my things. I did what I was supposed to do today. It's easy. Now that flies in the face sometimes of the difficulty we have of doing the right thing. We know that every day we don't, but we do know that there are seasons where you and I can, by our own strength, check off the boxes of faith, check off the boxes of religion. We can just do it. And in those moments, we can be tempted to think, I've got this. The Galatian Christians have decided that that they're able to do it if they just do the things the Jewish law said to do, that they can make their way. Now, Paul, as I already said, thinks this is ridiculous. He is incredulous about this. He is angry about this. He thinks they're fools. And here's what we need to hear, church. We, too, are fools if we think we can do this. This thing of faith, this thing of Christianity, this thing of following Jesus by checking boxes and being done. It's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. Now what Paul's going to do in this passage is give us five questions. And by those five questions, he's not actually asking things. He's making five statements. This is the way that we so often, often speak. This is the way Jesus so often taught. Right? When he had a point to make, very rarely did he just say, here's my point. What he would say is, here's a question. You answer it, and that's my point. Well, that's what Paul is doing in this passage with five questions, and they all build on each other. They're really all just one giant question. But Paul's got five things to say to us today. We're going to take a look at each one of those things. And he states these things through questions. And these are questions that we need to consider for ourselves so that we can decide if the statements he's making are true of us right so we're going to go through these statement and then question so that why so that we can look at ourselves and know whether or not these statements are true for us or if they're false for us the first one we actually want to be false for us by the way all the rest we'd like to be true so number one the statement that, make, that Paul makes is that you have abandoned the gospel. He makes the statement that you have abandoned the gospel. Now, this is, the, like I said, the one that I hope is false for you, right? This is the one we don't want to be true. But here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He asked this question, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Before that, he, he says this phrase, foolish Galatians, and it's worth pausing here for a minute. Because when he uses this term Galatians here, it's a different one than he's used all the rest of the times in the book. Of, uh, in, in the book. 
In this case, he is speaking to some but not all of the Galatians. He's writing to a specific province of Galatia as opposed to the whole region of Galatia. This is important to note, I think. Because in Paul's mind, there are some of these Christians who have gone astray and there are some who haven't. There are some Christians that he's writing to who are utter fools for abandoning the gospel. And there are other Christians who are considering abandoning the gospel. And he's saying, hey, look, you people are fools for abandoning the gospel. And then he's saying to the others, don't be a fool for abandoning the gospel. Don't fall into this. And the language that he's using is absolutely meant to cause people who are sitting on the fence to choose a side. You're either going to be a fool or you're going to be wise. You're either going to choose the gospel or you are going to choose what isn't the gospel. Nobody wants to be a fool. Nobody wants to be a fool. And so Paul's trying to convince them otherwise. He says then, who has bewitched you? Now this is also kind of stunning language. This is actually the only time in scripture when this word is used. Who has bewitched you? Right, and the image that we have is, is, I mean, is of a sorcerer, of a witch, of a wizard, of somebody who's casting a spell on the Galatians that has caused them to be fools. Who has led you astray? Who could have had this power over you? Who could have blinded you in such a way as to hide the glory of salvation from you? And that's what we're going to see in just a moment. Now, Paul knows who they are. He's met them. He may know their names. And yet he looks at the Galatians and he says, who? Now, as a note, this is not whom. Despite the fact that there were many who were teaching false things, he uses the singular of who here. Now, is that significant? I think it is. Because not only is it a whom is deceiving you, but he's already got an idea in his mind of who is deceiving them. And that's the devil. That is the enemy, the the father of lies. Right? He's talking about being a witch. Bewitched. That's also the realm of who? The devil. John Stott said, Much of our Christian stupidity in grasping and applying the gospel may be due to the spells which he, the devil, casts. Now I know for me, I don't need the devil to cause me to miss the gospel. I'm good at that myself. And guess what? So are you. But the truth is, is that we have an enemy, one who seeks to kill, destroy, and to steal our joy and to steal our hope. And he would do so by corrupting the gospel of Christ. And he's done so to the Galatian Christians here who have given in to a works-based faith. And Paul is utterly astonished that they have abandoned the gospel. That something could lead them away from it. Here's what he says in the second half of verse 1. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's saying, look, it was before your eyes. You saw so clearly in what we taught you about the gospel that you know that Jesus Christ was crucified. 
It's interesting to note the Galatians aren't denying that. Right? They are not concerned whether or not Jesus did die. But Paul's saying, look, it's as if you think he didn't. Because if you're living by works, then you don't care that he died for you. It's for no purpose that he died for you. He's astonished that they've abandoned the gospel. See, this isn't just them denying the historicity of the death of Jesus. They're not doing that. They have no doubts that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that he rose again. They have no doubts or questions about that. That's a heresy for another day. But what they have done in denying faith-based salvation and carrying on in the faith is they have denied the work of the gospel. The beautiful gospel, the gospel that teaches us that Christ came and that he died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. They've abandoned it. They've abandoned the gospel. And so he asked this question and he's saying to them, you have abandoned the gospel into what I've called a checkbox Christianity. They've embraced the idea that there's a list of works that if they do them, they can maintain their Christian life. For them, it was getting circumcised, it was eating the right foods, it was hanging out, spending time with the right people and not with the wrong people. And if you do these things, you're okay with God. Do this and you're good. It's neat, it's clean, it's simple, easy peasy, nice and easy. Or so they thought. Or so they thought. Right? This is his first statement to them, that they have abandoned the gospel. Here's the second statement. He says, you received the Spirit by faith. You received the Spirit by faith. Here's the question he asks. He asks the question, did you receive the Spirit by works? This is verse 2, by the way. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith, faith. The answer to this is, of course, yes. We received it through faith. We received the Spirit through faith, not through works. Now, when Paul makes this reference, he is referring to the initial point in their salvation at which time they received the Holy Spirit into their life. Now, real quick pause on theology here. There are some Christians who teach that we become Christians and then sometime at a later date, through praying the right prayers or saying the right things or doing the right things, we then receive the Holy Spirit. That is not what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit and when Christians receive the Holy Spirit. Christians receive the Holy Spirit the moment that they come to salvation. In fact, I might argue, and some people might have a problem with this, they actually receive it right bef- or receive the Holy Spirit right before Because it's the receiving the Holy Spirit that opens up their eyes that causes them to love Jesus in the first place. Romans 8, 9 tells us, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Which means if you're a Christian who then has to wait two years to do all the right things and do all the right ways and say the right prayer to then have the Spirit, guess what? You're not a Christian for those two years. Now maybe you became one at the end of all that, 
But here's the way to this church. If we don't have the Spirit, we're not Christians. If you don't have the Holy Spirit working you, flowing you, teaching you, comforting you, empowering you, you're not a Christian. Paul makes that point in Galatians. He says, look, was it by works or by faith did you receive the Spirit? The answer is by faith. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have salvation. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, again, as Paul writing, he says, Don't you know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Church, don't let anybody ever tell you that that you need to pray some prayer, that you need to, to receive the Spirit in some other way. You have the Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Spirit. Okay? Now, we need to hold on to that. Some of us, we have no idea what that means. The Galatians, like all of us, every one of us who has come to Christ, has been saved, has the Spirit. Now, the Galatian foolishness did not deny this. Their their foolishness didn't deny this. They said, yeah, we have the Spirit. Well, Paul's saying, look, if you have the Spirit, it came to you in the moment of your salvation, which came to you through what? Through, Through faith. See, it would be ridiculous for Paul to say to them, or for any of them to answer him in a no on this. Right? If, he, if he, they said, hey, look, no, actually, Paul, we were saved by works. He would say to them, so, so you got circumcised before you came to Christ? These people are all Gentiles. He said, so what, you followed all the laws before? He said, no, we, we didn't. See, Paul was there when most of these people came to Jesus. Paul was there. He's the one who led them to Jesus. And he knows that they didn't manage to clean up their lives. They didn't manage to get everything right before they walked through the door of faith. He knows they walked into that door the same place you and I walk into that door. Full of sin in our lives, enemies of God. But the Holy Spirit opened up their eyes of faith in their hearts. And and they became enlivened by the Spirit. It wasn't because they had done some work. I meet people all the time. They say, man, I'm going to come to church as soon as I get my stuff together. I'm like, well, don't do that. You're going to get there and there's, you're going to be alone because none of the people in my church have it together. <laughs> yes, you. Okay? We don't clean ourselves up before we come to Christ. We come to him broken and wounded and messed up and angry and full of just sin. And the Spirit opens us and enlivens us. Church, the Galatians didn't deny this. They know they came to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in their life, not because they had cleaned up their actions. This is one of those moments where Paul asks a question, he knows the answer, and they know the answer, and they're all in agreement. He's leading them down a road of logic and understanding. One that's going to land and continue where he needs it to land. The third statement that he makes in asking questions, he says, you are continuing by faith. He says you are continuing by faith. Here's his question. Starting in verse 3, he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh. 
having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, he knows they're all following his argument here. They've just admitted that they came to faith, they got the Spirit through faith, right? And so now he's just carrying that on. So you started that way, but you're going to finish by your own works? Church, we continue in faith the same way we came in by faith. Our lives do not start in the Spirit and then rely on our own strength to finish it. If that was the case, none of us would be here today. None of us have the strength to finish it. Now Paul uses the word flesh here on purpose. You you see this. Right, he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, everywhere else he's talked about the works. Here he switches language to the flesh. This is on purpose. It's part of his argument. See, when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about the ugly old selves that we all were. That we still are, apart from Christ, who is remaking us. When we act in sin, he tells us in other places, what we're doing is living out of the flesh. But when we act in righteousness, what we're doing is living out of our faith in the Spirit who lives in us. So here he says, look, are you, you came in by faith in the Spirit, but are you finishing by your old, dead, rotting self? And of course, what's the answer? Well, no. No. I can't do that, right? So he's leading them down this road to see that not only do we begin by faith, but we carry all the way through our our lives in Christ by faith. It's like a master painter who's done just a great and beautiful, amazing work, only to have a small child with a red crayon come and finish it. Right? I mean, that's what it's like when we even think that that what we do is finish the work of Christ in our lives. I'm nothing more than a, a toddler with a red crayon at that point. It doesn't get prettier, it gets uglier, it ruins it. And that's Paul's point. You're foolish if you try. And so we continue on in faith towards perfection. He uses that word, towards perfection, not by our works, not by checking boxes off, but in faith, believing that God is doing what God needs to do in our lives so that we become the men and women that we've been called to be. We continue on in faith. Now, notice just something in this. There's an assumption being made that that we do still carry on. We are still aimed at perfection. Some people would pause here, and they'd be like, all right, so that means I can do anything I want to do, right? That means that that if I don't have to do these things, or I shouldn't do these things, I can kind of do whatever. Because it's all Christ who saves, right? I was a sinner when he saved me, I'm a sinner now. No. Because our faith tells us that God is making us new. Our faith tells us that when the temptation comes at 2 o'clock in the morning, that we don't have to sin. Our faith tells us that when we are feeling scared and nervous about sharing the gospel with our neighbors, 
that we can do that boldly. And it's not even us who does it. See, trusting in faith for salvation and continuing that in our lives carries through. And so Paul makes the statement out of this, out of this passage. He says you are continuing by faith. Church, one of the things I was thinking about when I, when I got on this and I've been thinking about this, and some of this is actually in light of, of the revival stuff that's going on, and there's just a ton of conversations around, um, around the internet particularly, um, and other groups that are, that are talking about what's going on. And one of the things that I've been really troubled by is a whole lot of people who seem to be chasing an experience that they don't have anymore. For the most part, they're people who have had an experience. They came to Christ sometime, who knows when, and they had an experience of joy and life and power, and since then they've neglected it. A lot of them, what I'm seeing, aren't part of a church, a local church where they're, they're getting fed every week. They're not part of a group of people who are singing praises to God. And they're sitting at home alone and they're going, what happened to the Spirit? Let me make a bold statement to us today. Who you were in the Spirit the day you came to Christ. And if you remember that day, you remember a day full of life and joy and excitement. Freedom from sin. Who you were that day is who you should be right now. It's the same spirit who still lives in us. Now some of us, we were too young to remember that. We've forgotten. Even if you've forgotten that moment, you know along the way there's, there's been that continual steady movement of the spirit in your life. Empowering you, filling you, showing you the truth of the gospel. And all the way through it's been beautiful. For some of us, let me just say this, we've never experienced that. We've never experienced the conviction of sin that throws us to our knees as we cry out to a holy God, forgive me and make me new. Church, who we are today in the Spirit should be the more mature version of who we were that day in the Spirit. What began as grief over sin turned to joy as the separation we experienced with God was, was erased, was eliminated. As guilt and shame were washed away. Talk to Blanca about that. I'm just giving you a preview. Go talk to her after church. Okay? Immediately, in that moment, we may have experienced this, a power over sin towards God. I still remember the freedom that I felt as a teenager raising my hand, confessing my sin for the first time, and being led by the Spirit into saving faith. It's like I was there this morning. There are moments, like I said, along the way where, where I have gained the, the reminder of that, the ugliness of my sin as it creeps back up or as God reveals new bits of that to me. Comfort in the great grace and the mercy of God that even as a sinner, the Spirit speaks words to me of acceptance and love. The Spirit comforting my soul in grief and sorrow, an assurance of salvation and faith that nothing can shake. 
not only of God's love for me, but God's salvation for me, the power to be freed from sins that have taken hold of me, a power not for me, but of God. And continuing on in faith, not ever resting in myself or in anything else of me, but in him alone. Amen? And I'm speaking in the first person because I have no idea whether any of this is true for you. I don't. Have you ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit giving you comfort when you shouldn't have it? When all you have is your sin in front of you and yet you still know that God is at peace with you. Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit over addiction, over sin? Do you know the Spirit in your life? If you don't, let me remind you, you're not saved. Because those who are saved have the Spirit in life. If your Spirit's in your life, you are saved. Church, I can only express this in my own. Because I don't know if it's true for you. But Paul says, he says, look, we continue on in the Spirit. I pray, I pray that you would be a person who continues on in the Spirit. Here's a couple thoughts on this. Number one, if everything I'm saying to you is foreign to you, if you're, you're sitting there like, man, Matt's lost it today. He's usually pretty rational, and he's usually pretty controlled. No, I'm not. But, <laughs> but man, Matt's just like, here's the deal. I'm just going to encourage you before church is out today before you go to sleep tonight get on your knees cry out to Jesus and ask him to show you himself and to fill you with the Holy Spirit now if you're Christian you're not asking to have a fresh new work of the Spirit in your life you're asking if the Spirit who's in your life would show you just what he's capable of but for some of you it might be that you just need to turn to him for the first time that you are recognizing the sin in your life the brokenness in your life and say you know what I thought I was a Christian yesterday but today I'm really not so sure why because the spirit I just don't feel like the spirit's working in my life turn to him now before you leave here today before you go to sleep tonight turn to him if you need to talk about that I'd love to get with you here's another thought some of us need to spend far more time with new Christians one of the best things in the world about being a pastor is I get to spend time with people who are recently saved. Recently saved people are excited, and they're passionate, and they're on fire. More people lead other people to Jesus in the first couple of years of their salvation than most of us do like 80 years after that. Why? Because you have a fresh look, a fresh view of who you are in Christ. You know what he's rescued you from. We've got people in our church who have been Christians for less than 10 years, some less than one year. Go spend some time with them. Not because you can rub off on them, but because they can rub off on you. Now, yes, as the church, we get to pour into new believers. Praise the Lord for that. Part of God's design in the church is that old believers get to spend time with new believers, and they all get better because of it. Amen? Here's the fourth statement Paul makes. He says, you are sanctified by faith. He says, you are sanctified by faith. Here's his question. He says, did you suffer 
so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain. Now, let me just tell you, I've done a preacher's thing here, and I've separated one thing into two things, and they say the same thing. Okay, we continue on in faith is the same thing as being sanctified in faith. But here's a, a slightly different avenue in it. Not only do we continue, but we are sanctified by faith. Sanctified is, is the process by which after God declares us to be holy, we become that. Not only are we saved by faith, given the Spirit by faith, but we are sanctified by faith as well. Verse 4, Paul asks, did you suffer all this in vain? Now, you may know this, you may not know this. Let me tell you, we live in a culture that is allergic to suffering. Tim Keller, in his book on pain and suffering, <laughs> writes this. He says, sociologists and anthropologists, mind you, these people aren't necessarily saved, have analyzed and compared the various ways that cultures train its members for grief, pain, and loss. And when this comparison is done, it is often noted that our own contemporary secular Western culture is one of the weakest and worst in history at doing so. Do you ever wonder why you struggle so much when you're in pain and why when life's not going the way it's supposed to go and all these sorts of things? Well, here's the reason why. We live in a culture that is the most ill-equipped to deal with it that has ever existed in humanity, according to sociologists and anthropologists. And I would agree, as a pastor, that we do. Man, I feel like we stub our toes, and it's like the world is ending. I was reading a story about a pastor this week, who after pastoring and, and, and working over this huge area, preaching 50 to 70 sermons a week, riding horses between them, doing all this work, was called to serve at a seminary as, as opposed to being a pastor. And he wrestled with it because he loved his people. He didn't want to go, but he knew that, that going to the seminary would help him to raise up more leaders who could go and reach lost people. This was his whole motive. And he died a year and a half later at age 36. He spent his last half of his life suffering and loved every minute of it. Not because he loved the suffering, but because he loved what God was doing in his life through it. We live in an, in, in an age, in a day, when all we do, when we feel pain, we do it immediately. We medicate it. We avoid it. We hide from it. We deny it. We have an entire, entire industries built on the avoidance of pain. We have entire subcultures, illegal subcultures that are built on what? On addiction. Why? To avoid pain. Now here's the deal. The Galatian Christians have been through some stuff. What stuff? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us, which I like. Now, Paul and Barnabas, when they were there planting these churches, spreading the gospel, the two of them and their team were persecuted pretty heavily. So we can assume that, that some of the Galatian Christians were also persecuted. But we don't know that for sure or how bad that persecution was. But Paul here brings up their suffering on purpose. They've been through it. 
We don't know what. Now, the word here that the ESV translates to suffering, some other Bible translations just have it be, it's the idea of experience. You've been through some stuff. So maybe they didn't suffer, but maybe they've experienced a lot. Being a Christian is not easy. Now, we know they've faced false teachers. We know they've had infighting. We know the troubles because that's why Paul's writing this letter. We know that they have been through some stuff. And church, we are sanctified by faith, just like we are brought in by faith. And here's what I was thinking about as, we, as, as I was reading through this. The knowledge, and just thinking about my own life, of what the Spirit's done in me over the last 20, 30-something years. And knowing you all, knowing the stories, knowing what the Spirit has done in you to sanctify you, to draw you closer to God, to make you more and more holy. Every one of us is full of stories and lives that have been hard as Christians. We have been through some stuff. And Paul says, look, was that all in vain? He says to the Galatian Christians, was that all in vain? That you went through that, that, that the spirit who was working in you in the very beginning, was it in vain that you went through that? And the Bible often talks about a refining fire. The spirit is the refining fire in our lives, drawing us closer and closer to God. And the spirit so often uses suffering and pain and hardship and hurt to get us there. I've said a few times that I think the foolishness of the Galatians was an easier way. And I think it was. And it was an easier way because it avoids the messiness of the requirement of suffering to grow in our faith. If all I have to do at the end of the day to maintain my Christian life is check off a bunch of boxes, you know what I never have to worry about? This right here. I never have to worry about my heart. I never have to figure out why it is that I'm afraid to speak to my neighbor about Jesus. I never have to know why it is that I have a temptation to look at things with my eyes that I shouldn't be looking at. I never have to know why in my heart I have problems because I'm just checking the boxes off. Paul brings up this in Romans 2, 28-29. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What Paul is talking about here is circumcision of the heart. And let me tell you, in Paul's view, and this should be your view too, and it's my view, is that circumcision of the heart is way harder than circumcision itself. Now we joke about this because circumcision makes us uncomfortable, right? Talking about that as adults in the adult world, it's weird, it's hard. 
For someone to become a Jew fully, and this was the expectations these Judaizers were placing on these Galatian Christians, that as adults, they had to be circumcised. But the pain of that and the healing of that is nothing in comparison to what it looks like to circumcise our hearts every single day. Every single day. To let God take the scalpel of the Word of God and have the Spirit working in our lives guide that scalpel to exactly where it's supposed to go to cut the ugly, dead bits of our flesh, of our old lives, off of us. It is far easier to check a box than to check our hearts. Far easier. The Spirit is a refining fire in our lives. It hurts, it's hard, but it's good. But it is so utterly good. Church, do we have a faith in God, not just about our salvation, but our sanctification? That as He molds us and makes us, and it hurts, that it is a good thing, and that it is worth embracing, because we are not just saved by faith, but we are sanctified by faith. Finally, church, Paul makes one more statement. He says that God has always given salvation, the spirit, and sanctification by faith. Here's what he asks. Here's what he asks. He says, does he, God, who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I'm not going to go into this verse, because I gave it to Scott for next week. But here's where we need to see, here's what we need to understand. Is that this is not a new thing that God is doing in the New Testament. But this is the way that he has always worked. We worship a God who is faithful, who is unchanging. He is always saved by faith. He is always given the Spirit by faith. He is always sanctified by faith. It's never been the law that caused people to grow in Him. Now Scott's going to spend a lot more time on that next week. But here's what I want us to be really encouraged by. We worship a God who has always worked this way, and He will continue to always work this way. Maybe you have been a checkbox Christian, knocking off things off the list. All right, I'm going to read this book, I'm going to read this passage, I'm going to pray this prayer, I'm going to church this number of times a year. He is ready to receive you in faith. He is ready to give His Spirit to you in faith. He is ready to sanctify you, to make you new in faith. Because it's what he's always been doing. And he's not going to make an exception for you. He's going to do the same thing he's done for me. And for the rest of us who are in the Spirit and who are in faith, he will do that work in you. Amen?
Church, we worship a God who has devised a system of salvation, a system of knowing him and being reconciled to him in such a way that we do not need to be perfect. We do not need to clean ourselves up before we come in. He's worked out a system that we do not have to look like cookie-cutter images of each other, but that we get to come into and stay into and be carried on for the rest of our lives and eternity through the gift of faith in our lives. Church, God is so good. God is so good. I pray that today we would be a people who would hear this, who would know this. I pray that today we would be a people who in faith would give our lives to him all afresh, all anew, to know that he is still working. Lord God, as we come before you, God, I pray that we would work. God, not in, in our own salvation, not in the works that have been given, but Lord, in trusting you, in having faith to see you in our lives, Lord. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, we would be encouraged and lift up, Lord. I pray that, that we would lay our sin down and pick up what you want for us. Lord, I pray that as we would work, and we pray, God, as, as you would work in us, Lord, that you would make us new. Encourage our hearts, strengthen us, empower us, excite us, Lord, for what you're doing, not only in us, but in the world around us, to see men and women come to know you through faith. God, we thank you and we praise you and we give you the glory, Lord. Amen.